Another Sun in our seventh installation of Will's World, where we bring you monthly breakdowns on some of the most significant connections to William Shakespeare and his texts. You can expect to hear us share about how the world influences his writings, or about how his writings influence the world, or maybe both. We are back this time to talk about a new and thoughtful piece being mounted here in Milwaukee, and that is Margaret. Margaret is a restructuring of the Wars of the Roses history plays that, as you'll hear about, is set to follow Margaret of Anjou through this period of civil war. I think it is safe to say there is no one better suited to tell us about this colossal undertaking other than the woman that has been stitching it together herself, our very own Jess Trisnadel. Please join us for a discussion on what is sure to be a fresh and provocative re-examination of some of Shakespeare's earliest plays. Hi, it's me, Connor. I'm back. Connor Finnegan. I'm here with Jess. How are you doing, Jess? Hi, I'm happy to be back. Good. Yeah, so those of you who may remember, um, we had Jess um, back in October, was that, for Macbeth? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so alongside uh, the the release of our Macbeth Part 1 and 2, which if you haven't listened to, please do, Anchor, Spotify, etc., uh, we came out with this kind of dramaturgy episode uh, with with Jess talking about what all went into the production of that, and then um, and then the history of Macbeth, which is equally fascinating. Oh yeah. Um, and as you know, or as you may have uh, noticed, we are without Amanda today. So uh, our lovely Amanda Houchins, um, actually she she's um, having a really exciting life right now. Um, she is uh, pretty busy. I, I think, yeah, I, I think I can say this. And if, if I can't, she'll just cut it out. But uh, she just bought a house. So she's like a homeowner and uh, we're really excited for her. And But that is crazy responsibility. Um, and and this episode is actually all about Jess anyway. So it worked out well that we could do it this way. Um, so you're, I, I talked about Margaret. Margaret is this, yeah, this restructuring of the, some of the history plays. Um and actually, we're doing a staged reading of it uh, locally here in Milwaukee. Uh, Jess uh, has kind of stitched together and has been working on it and is directing that staged reading. And I'm in it. Yes, I'm in you it. Are. I'm playing um, Edward, Edward the Fourth. Uh, so not little Ed, not Prince Ed, but Big Ed. I'm playing Big Ed, <laughs> which is, um, which is pretty awesome. And so that'll go up in a couple weeks. Uh, the rehearsal process for it has been pretty awesome. But uh, we did our first episode on the Wars of the Roses, and there's just so much to cover, right, Jess? That with that <laughs> time and that time in English history, that uh, we said this is a, a perfect way to revisit it as well with a with a different twist. Right? Yeah, we spent about six hours of rehearsal time just talking about the <laughs> historical elements of the Wars of the Roses yeah. and all that fun stuff. Yeah, um, what's his name? Kyle. I just met. Yeah, so he's our. What do you call uh, him? Dramaturg. Yeah, he's been doing, um, bringing in videos and family trees and all that kind of fun mm-hmm. stuff and going over all the battles and fun little things like that. Yeah, which is, as an actor, um, it, it's it's actually really helpful because I know, I know a lot about this era in history just because of the research we've done for the podcast and things like that. And it's just a fascinating time to examine but there is just so much to know that having someone um like our dramaturg kyle to recover those things 
uh, is super helpful. So uh, props to him and, and props to you for, for including that in this production. Um, and, and so speaking of which, speaking of, of recovering those timelines and family trees and everything, I think we should probably just do a quick rundown of what historical events this play Margaret is kind of encapsulating. So correct me if I, if I speak out of turn on any of this, but generally what, what is relevant to, to Shakespeare and his plays and the Wars of the Roses is we have the cadet branches of this house of Plantagenet, right? Yes. We have, Lancaster's Yorks. Lancaster's Red Roses, Yorkists White Roses. Yes. Wars of the Roses. Yeah, and it actually yes. starts um Shakespeare does before the specific War of the Roses plays, we start with um is sometimes called the Henriad, which starts with Richard II, which is actually where mm. that's not where our play begins, but it's where uh the kind of separation between the the two houses claims to the throne starts. Because Henry IV actually uh, takes the throne from Richard II, and it leads to his and Henry V's fairly successful mm. reigns. And then when the contention starts to happen, once we move into Henry VI, who is uh, the title character of the actual yes. plays of the Wars of the Roses, um, but his claim is contested. Three of them. Yes. Yeah. Must have been a pretty important guy to have three plays written in your name. Yeah, which is so funny, too, because he is generally considered one of the weaker kings, but he's got yeah, three plays. I've, I've got the timeline here of kind of what events may be relevant to us. And I've written that, um, so the Lancastrian Henry VI descended of Edward III. Um, and that's how he's connected to the House of Plantagenet and through his his uh, Hank V and, and four before him. He's in power at the beginning of our play, but partially absent because to your point, like what you're talking about, um, you know, there's talks of bouts of bouts of madness. Is that the the proper way to say it? Maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There or, were, mo- I guess it exactly what was happening was never really confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely there were, t- there were times where he was just absent and whether that was yeah. like, uh, mental instability or just uh, being incapable to be a strong leader during the time. We're not sure, but there were times where he was yeah. just an absent king. And, and I, I think that ate away at the at the York cadet branch of the House of Plantagenet because uh, they, they are also connected to this family. And at this time in history, I think they're noticing the absence and whatnot. So they moved to take the throne um, and then there's a number of battles. Uh, you know, we could go over those in a whole other episode, just the, just the number of battles that went on. Um, but what ended up happening, at least in the, in the Shakespeare plays, is that uh, Henry VI says, okay, well, you're going to let me reign. You're not going to kill me now or, or, or depose me now. You're going to let me reign uh, until my death. At which time, then I will, you know, I will make uh, whoever's lying in, in York uh, my heir, which is, uh, I guess, uh, Duke of York at that time. Yes, because he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then that upsets Margaret because, and, and lots of people and, and his family. 
because it makes them look even less capable. Um, and and now, you know, how what is it to disinherit your own son? Uh, that kind of thing. And but the the Yorks cannot wait, and so they they go to push him out of the throne now. They want it done now, not when he's dead. Um, and then uh, historically, you'll see the Yorks snuff out lots of the Lancastrian figures um, and, until it, it's pretty much undisputed. Or excuse me, uh, indisputed? Undisputed? I think undisputed. Undisputed. Yeah. <laughs> undisputed. Um, and then and then eventually, what what happens is, uh, I think as far as Yorkist rulers after the Henry the Sixth, we're probably on like Richard the Third at this point. Finally, there's Henry the Seventh, uh, who who takes over from there, uh, who is technically Lancastrian, right? Um, but he gets to be known as Henry Tudor, and that's where the the whole uh, Tudor era kind of comes from. And he marries a York, and that's why if you look at the Tudor crest, there's the red rose from the Lancastrian, which is really his family, his cadet branch family, and then the white rose when he married uh, is it Elizabeth of York. Someone? I, I, I think so. It, yeah, there's just a, there's yeah. a lot of Elizabeths, lots of Henrys. Yes. There's lots a lot of, of Richards. There's a lot of Henrys, <laughs> lots of Dicks. Yep. Lots of lots of everybody's, and so that that's kind of my uh, rambling, rough take on the events, both in history and. We don't quite fully get to Henry the Seventh, Henry Tudor, by the end of our play, Margaret. But if we if we did get to the end of the Wars of the Roses, that's kind of where that would yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and just to mm-hmm. add kind of where Margaret fits into just sort of the mm-hmm. rundown is Margaret came in because uh, the War of the Roses follows the Hundred Years War with France. Right. And uh, Margaret's marriage to Henry was set up as kind of a way to make some sort of peace with France. And uh, so um, by giving Margaret to henry to to marry they actually gave some land back to france and that upset a lot of people because things between england and france were they were at war for a a long time and so a hundred years so already when margaret and henry got married there was a lot of uh there were a lot of people upset um and that's kind of where our play picks up she is getting married to Henry and immediately we see there are people who are very upset about that because they see this as a marriage that benefits England and Henry in no way and solely benefits France. And then on top of that, Margaret is this woman who when Henry is weak uh, and Henry is absent, she is not afraid to step in and basically take over and step into that role of king and a lot of people thought that was out of mm-hmm. place for a woman in that time. Yeah, it, it, there's certainly uh, all sorts of characters in this play, Margaret, that have all sorts of opinions about about her, about Margaret, um, and and they're they're not shy with bashing. Oh her. no, not at all. It's pretty crappy. Yeah. Um. So that kind of maybe I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse here but that kind of makes me think so then why would so warwick goes across the sea um 
to get Lady Bona. So why would why would he continue to do these kind of uh, like French? Um, they're not like it's not like a dowry thing, but these why would he try to make these French connections? Huh. Um, when it when it seems like it hasn't worked out so far in history, you know what I mean? Or is it like apples and oranges because it's a different? I think relations with France were still important. I think that was still something. Mm. I think it was just. Because part of it, too, was when you get married, you expect uh, the the dowry. And uh, Suffolk says mm-hmm. in a line, um, her father, Margaret's father, is a king, but he's poor. They didn't have anything. And so mm-hmm. you have Lady Bona is related to uh, King Louis. Uh, so that might be a more okay. opportune marriage, a marriage that actually benefits England more and not just France. Because even... Henry V mm-hmm. um, married Catherine, and that was part of, you know, relation restoring relations with France. But sure. I think it just depends on basically what England has to gain from the match. And I think with Margaret, they just thought that they weren't getting enough out of that marriage. So this is a, a big hypothetical, but hypothetically maybe uh, Henry VI's marriage and therefore his reign may have been looked on more favorably if uh, if he had married someone closer to King Louis, like Lady Bona, if she were you know of a different age at a different time? I think so. I think maybe. the big thing, too, yeah. was losing the land. Mm, okay, yeah. Because, yeah. Cool. That makes and sense. Because I know, too... Um, I believe when Henry the sixth was born, he was also technically the king of France at that time. And so I think what how it might have been perceived was that during Henry V's reign they conquered a lot and they made a lot they gained land and they really sort of got out ahead in, in that dispute with France okay. and then Henry slowly started losing it and started to to weaken their claims and things like that so i think it was just the the things that they gained under henry v they were starting to lose under henry the sixth okay so that's that's how we kind of begin this play with margaret and um and she has to step in sometimes even in the play she has to step in um and and by the end of it uh, she is pretty pretty distraught. She's had a lot taken from her, um, and there there's this beautiful um, epilogue that Jess has arranged. That I I feel like I maybe it's not true, but I feel like I really just heard it last night for the first time in rehearsals, and it's like it really it really pops. It's really yeah, I think so because that scene with Elizabeth is like crazy. Yeah, it's. It's really beautiful. And yeah, I think yesterday actually was uh, the first where we had pretty much all of our cast. So I think a lot of people, it's where they heard a lot of the scenes with Mm -hmm. the actual cast for the first time, which is really fun going into tech. Yeah, Yeah, we we open practically end of next week. And I'm still like, wow, I'm hearing that practically for the first time, maybe literally for the first time. And but everybody is you could tell everybody's working hard in and outside of the room that I have, I have no worries that we're going to deliver the story that is coherent and beautiful. 
Um, so that so that's kind of uh, the rough arc of Margaret in this self-titled play. Um, but I have questions about how you got here. Sure. So, you know, it, it would be one thing to uh, do one of these four plays, because there's four plays that make up Margaret, really, right? Yes. Yes. Henry VI, one, two, three, Richard III. Yes, and it's... So the main storyline that we just talked about was pretty much Mm -hmm. Henry VI, part two and three. Um, Mm. And then uh, kind of little sections where we we jump ahead to Richard and where we jump, Mm -hmm. where we flash back to Henry VI, part one. Um, Because those four make up the Wars of the Roses plays, but Margaret's, the bulk of her story is in part two and three and that's where I, uh, a lot of the a lot of the serious uh kind of tug of war back and forth for the throne happens yeah and it um, just a side note is that epilogue is that from richard that's richard the third yes yeah that i love that i gotta go find that and read that it's really nice and it's full context nice yeah um, so when did you kind of start thinking about this? I asked you, I think in rehearsal recently, it, it was not a few months ago, certainly. No. It's been a long yeah, time. It, so I was not even familiar with these plays really or, or any of these characters mm-hmm. until we did the summer intensive at Shakes and Co., which I'm sure we've mentioned on this podcast before. Yes. Yeah. So Jess and I in, in 2018 and Amanda, actually, uh, we all went and trained in Shakespeare uh, at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts. And that, yeah, I, I bet you were thinking about these kinds of things when we were there. I mean, the, the place just forces you to think about every play in the canon, even if you're not working on it for scene work. So what, you just started... Yeah, really, I really <laughs> I really enjoyed that scene. It was Caleb and... Who... Yes, yes, Chanel, Chanel and yes. Caleb. I think, yeah. I think about that scene. We haven't talked about this. I think about that scene all the time so when good. I'm watching Jackie. Yeah. yeah, it was, and yeah. it just, I was like, this is really good, but I feel like these, these plays never really get done and we don't hear about them. Yeah. And I was just curious as to why I was like, maybe I'll go back and read them. Um, and I got, when I was there, I bought Tina Packer's book, Women of Will. And she, yeah. her whole like thing in the opening was how she played margaret and she oh you have it yeah and yeah, I got the copy um and how she auditioned with that piece for royal shakespeare company and all that kind of mm. stuff so it just made me really interested and i read them all and it kind of made sense why maybe they don't always get done individually because they there's a lot and you almost need all those pieces because you're almost if you're only doing like part two you're not really getting like what happens to those characters. There are so many of the sure. same characters in them that I feel like the the best way to tackle them is to combine them. And I just thought I was I don't know, it just had me thinking like all the histories it's yeah. it's some Henry or some Richard or some male character. And mm-hmm. Margaret kind of <clears throat> has to be the king in a lot of situation situations. She has to step in for Henry, mm-hmm. she has to take control. You know, when they reference, when the Yorks reference going into battle with the Lancasters, they're almost always talking about Margaret. Margaret's the general. Margaret is the one that they're facing up against. So I thought, what if what if she was the title character instead because she 
really influences so much of the plot in a lot of ways, even more than Henry does. Yeah, yeah. Henry, Henry is is um, kind of how do you say uh, resolved? Um, he he doesn't put a lot of action out into the world. Yeah, he's. Uh, in fact, I he. Oh, ahead. he's he's just very. Uh, at least in Shakespeare, he's he's very much a pacifist, and I think he'll do even if it's not yeah. the best decision for his family or for uh, politically, he'll just do what he can. I think to resolve conflict. Oh, mm-hmm. a little fun fact: I don't think you were here to, at this rehearsal um, for dramaturgy, but we we found out that Henry. I think this was early, like during some of the early battles of War of the Roses. There's like a little gap, but. Henry actually had this parade called the Love Day Parade where he made people walk through the streets holding hands. And he, I think it was Margaret and York had to hold hands during this parade. And this was like, I believe a battle had already happened at this point. So just like he really just did not want this conflict to be happening. Oh my God. I, I, you know, I think the world has hardened me as I've grown into young adulthood. Um, But in another life that is definitely me unfortunately yeah. like it's it's kind of sweet if if yeah. totally naive and just uh kind of mm-hmm. ignorant to how the world works yeah. and you know but still kind of sweet you know in a way yeah it's tricky because it yeah you're gonna have like 50 percent of people be like oh that look at that and then that's so sweet and Yes, and then the other fifty percent of people are like, "This is stupid. We have war, real world problems, whatever that means." Yeah, we're gonna um, be killing each other in like wow, a year. I did not know that. Yeah, I learned it pretty recently. I, I just thought that. it was such an interesting little tidbit. So this Jess's Margaret is is um, is that titled after a woman? And it got me thinking, I should know this. Are there any other Shakespeare plays? So comedies are named after their events. Tragedies are named after the character that the tragedy revolves around. Histories revolve around. Is there is there any play named after a woman? Antony and Cleopatra, was, which she shares yeah, with Yeah, that was man. the one I was thinking of because I can't think of any others. I know there's like poems yeah. possibly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dang. so I don't think so. So this this must be this might be the first Shakespeare play named after a woman. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It should have been named after her in the first so, place, but you know. Okay, so I, I was there. I don't remember Tina Tina Packer was one of the three kind of main folks who started that Shakespeare company um here in the US. So she she said that she is really connected to Margaret because it was a she used it for audition. Yeah, she played that role and she used the the uh like the paper crown uh monologue for royal mm. shakespeare company and got in so obviously yep. it worked for her yep. if it gets you into rsc it's it can't be a bad right. speech and and so do you think it was mostly kind of that that um and then probably what you read from women of will which um drove you to margaret and reading more about her um is there like any socio-political relevance to to like why you felt like now is the time to do this 
or is it really just like a passion project? There wasn't intentionally like there wasn't when I went into it. I was just like, and I had also Mm -hmm. not really cut Shakespeare before. So I was like, let's see if this even works. But as I was thinking about it more, because I wanted to like early drafts were very long. I wanted to kind of cut it Mm -hmm. down and see like, what is the like real important story. And I think the subject of familial tension and people in power fighting each other for the advancement of themselves and the people closest to them, but not Mm. actually for the good of everyone else is pretty relevant. I think we're living in a time that's very politically tense, very, uh, you know, you're people are at each other's Mm -hmm. throats a lot. And I, and so, uh, especially with the election and stuff, I don't know. I just, it had me thinking about the show a little bit because I was just like, just, just the idea that, I don't know the idea. I mean, I guess this is about a war, so it's a little different, but the idea that like, sometimes this, this idea that war is the cyclical thing that just takes and it doesn't really contribute anything right. and sort of this cycle of violence and tension until until something comes to a head and then something gets better so i think during really tense and trying times it had me really thinking about that aspect of it mm. so you so you started thinking about this um well you started reading a lot more about uh the wars of the roses plays probably in 2018 when do you think you started deciding like hey i'm gonna i'm in google docs or you know i'm looking i'm i just copy pasted the entire mit version and now i'm shifting things around when did you decide like okay this is something i'm gonna do probably fall ish of 2019 because i remember i had pitched it for vfr season five Mm -hmm. which believe it or not started in 2020 our first show of season five was in october 2020 so we've had to do quite a bit of shifting because of covid um so i did and at that point i don't think i was fully done i might have had like a super super rough draft um so i would say like 2019 i started it and Hmm. actually when i was doing the prologue i was typing everything out word for word because then i thought i could be more specific that way and i got to a couple scenes in and i was like i just need to start copy and pasting and cutting because that's too oh that's way gosh. too much for me what you were planning i was on, planning on, on typing it all out typing out the words that you want the, the lines that you wanted and and then it, omitting the ones oh that no, you no 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 i was gonna so i was gonna read it uh. and like pick what I wanted and just type it out. But then I was like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of shifting and a lot of things that I'm going to leave in for now and then cut out later. So I was like, I can't actually do this. Hey, I admire your ambition. That's nuts. Cause I was kind of curious when you would have started. Cause I was thinking, um, so Hillary ran in 2016 and I don't, I don't know why this sticks out in my head, but I remember, um, either reading or hearing somewhere like these stupid comments um things like oh well if a if a woman were president then she'd be starting wars left and right you know because they're going to be um they're going to be more hot-headed and angry yeah something 
what what a good take. I think it was an interview, right. and they're like, they're like, wow, what a what a great take. So who has started uh, pretty much every war in the past six centuries? Right. Oh no, no women. Oh, oh, oh okay. And so, and then I, I thought, like, how does that compare to when when Margaret would have to step in? Well, um, she. It un- unfortunately, you know, there you could call it war, but it it seemed like a little bit more necessary. I don't know. She actually a lot of the stuff that she did was she had a lot of strong female influences in her life who've had to step up and Mm -hmm. so i think the rest of the world perceived her taking charge as very much out of line for a woman but i think she perceived it as Mm -hmm. someone needs to do this so why can't it be me i'm capable of doing this so i'm going to i don't think she was ever like particularly cruel or violent i just think she knew there was conflict she knew that mm-hmm. her family's safety and their position was at stake and if henry wasn't going to do it she she had the ability to do it so why couldn't she just be the one yeah and it, and it, what's unfortunate is that if it probably were anyone other than her um it probably would have been a man and and to what how would that would have gone like lord protector or protector of the realm or how so the, but whoever whoever would be making decisions other than her or henry the sixth probably would have been making the same decisions but getting less yeah. flack for it and yeah. yeah that's kind of the thing too with henry's reign i think henry the fifth died when henry six was like nine months old so he became the king as oh, a baby wow. so he always had there always had to be someone making the decision. So he had a lot of Lord protectors, mm-hmm. which would be the person basically they're not the King, but they make all those political decisions until the King comes of age, or if he's unable to make those decisions. And he, so basically she was kind of just stepping into that role a little bit, which Henry had had those people his whole life. Yeah, that that's all true. And, and that, um, that he had all that his whole life maybe contributes to why he wasn't as, as able to get things done as, as she or anyone else was um, during and after his reign. I think so, yeah. Um, and so, so that so we, we're getting a better idea of why, why Margaret and, and you know how you've how you've come to this point. Um, before I ask you more about uh, like the the cutting and reordering of it. I wanted to um, talk a little bit about someone who's done something like this, actually. Uh, it, and it was RSC. We were talking about RSC earlier with Tina. Uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company, um, I think it was probably John, yeah, I think the, the main two people that started this project, The Wars of the Roses, uh, John Barton and Peter Hall, who are, they're, they're famous for being like the, kind of the, the head of things. Um at least within like the past century. Um, and so John Barton and Peter Hall had this idea because of things that were going on in the world and the power vacuums that were going on in the, in the mid 20th century um, to figure out, okay, how can we use Shakespeare's histories to reflect what's going on today? 
And so that's why I was kind of curious about the sociopolitical relevance, because I think that was their main mission at the RSC with putting on this production, which is pretty close to, to what we're doing now. Uh, you can get the script of it still. It's I think you could just Google search RSC, The Wars of the Roses, and it's like a big, wide, wide, wide script with uh, their cuts and splices, etc. So it's the uh, Tetralogy, te 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 uh, which is one, two, three of, of Henry VI and then Richard III. Um, and it ended up being 6,000-some lines or so. Um, but then what they actually also did uh, was they supplemented things uh, with their own text. So oh. what I mean by that is that they, they actually went in and wrote in, I think it would seem mostly in verse, but maybe occasionally in prose, they wrote in lines that were not there. And from what I've read, um, that was in part because uh, they felt like there was just some missing clarity because of other cuts they made so they had to invent some kind of things to so things would make sense but then also just to kind of further support their mission which was to hold the mirror up to the to the political uh climate that they were living in at the time and it, i read it was it was something like 1400 lines or more and so it's something if you do the math i remember doing working out the math as a not just a few yeah. lines you know it was like almost a fifth of this of this play series that they put together uh was invented written by by john barton and then uh peter hall directed it all and so peter hall direct is directing a play spliced together from different shakespeare plays written by shakespeare also written by john barton and i think in today uh you know Margaret is all Shakespeare, yeah. right? You haven't put anything of yourself in there. Yeah. But if someone were to do that and be transparent uh, with the public that they're doing that, I feel like it would get um, maybe like kind of a mixed response. And I remember when I first started doing anything theatrical, anything dramatic, people were always telling me, like, oh, Shakespeare is sacred. You can't touch Shakespeare. Like if you have to cut something down because it's four hours and you can't do a four-hour play at, at your high school. Yeah, we get that. You can't you can't do all of Othello. It's a long play, but um, but for the most part, you, you certainly if you know if you're if you're in rehearsal and you're an actor and you're saying your lines wrong, Shakespeare is rolling in his grave, and and um, and if you don't hit every syllable correctly with your pentameter, Shakespeare is rolling in his grave. So I, I'm like. Shakespeare rolling in his grave when John Barton writes 1400 plus lines to put into this, into this, the Wars of the Roses uh, set that they've built. And I, I think the answer actually is probably no, because they, that they're like the most excelled scholars and performers, appreciators in that field at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so, it makes me wonder, you know, okay, so you, we're, we're doing a staged reading for Margaret right now. You've already had um, two-ish years kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know if, how much time it's taken to develop it. I imagine a lot of time. Has, that, has something like that ever crossed your mind? Like that supplementing it to, to further prove points 
or tell the story that you really want to tell about Margaret or about the world? Yeah. So a couple things. Um, trying to think where to start. Um, yeah. So I know. I I, um, the answer is yes, I did. I had considered that I wanted when I was cutting it at first to keep it within the Shakespeare, which was challenging because I had to be really Mm -hmm. considerate of characters. Um, there were a lot of characters that ended up getting cut or spliced together. And I had to figure out what, made a character important enough to be in a cut that was really what I my goal was to make it under two hours to make it you know capture that real like core of the story because I like I said pretty early on I pitched it to VFR so I wanted it to have like a reasonable cast Mm -hmm. size um so I had all of those like logistical things in mind and um but I wanted to keep it Shakespeare so I ended up you know, combining a few things, like giving a couple lines that maybe that character didn't speak, but a character on their side that got cut spoke. Um, But I guess I, to answer the other question about if it's like appropriate, I guess I'm not that much of a purist because I think these texts exist in so many forms. You can find them anywhere. They've all been done a million times. And the reason they get done is because there's a lot of universally relatable and important topics. There's a lot of beautiful poetry, but I think we're at the point with Shakespeare that, you know, people are going to keep doing it. And it's important, I think, to take Mm -hmm. fresh and modern perspectives because it was fresh and modern in Shakespeare's time, even though like the stories can be really universal. Like we've talked about in, in, um, when we were talking about Mackers, there was so much that was like directly relevant to the political and uh, just social climate of that time. So I think, you know, the dependent, as long oh, as yeah. you're yeah. doing it for a reason, as, as long as there's like an intention and I think a thought behind your reasoning, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to do something like they did because And how many, how many like movies and shows have been adapted that are like based on Shakespeare, but you know, change things. And I, I don't know. I think we're taking these old texts that everybody knows Mm -hmm. and we're finding fresh ways to do them. So I think, you know, if there's a reason behind it and it's staying true to the story or whatever story it is, the, the person is trying to tell I I don't, I think it's cool. Mm hmm. What what is the what is the twelfth night one She's with Heath Ledger? Is that Heath? Is it's Amanda Bynes, right? Um, she's oh no no the no! Man. Ten is things the, I hate about you. The twelfth night one. Is that based on? What's she- the ten things I hate about you? Is that twelfth night? No no no! She's the man. Is twelfth night? That's Amanda Bynes. Yeah. Amanda Bynes is she's the man, but um, ten things I hate about you is something too. Is it much to do about nothing? Be. Or is it taming? It's it's taming the shrew. I actually isn't it? don't know. I don't know that I've seen that um, movie. I know what I know what you're talking you about. You haven't though. seen Ten Things I Hate About You. Okay. It's Tame of the Shrew. It's Tame of the Shrew. Yeah. So, um, pretty. I think her name is actually even Kate. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. her name is Kate in the movie or Catherine maybe. Um, and it, it's all about how Heath Ledger is like an asshole, but a charming yep. asshole, and um, and like you know, Tame of the Shrew, the problematic story. You all know it well. 
Um, and, and so it's a modern adaptation of that. And so there's that. She's the man. And those things, you know, I, I enjoy them. In fact, I really like 10 Things about I, hate, I Hate About You. I think you should I think you should go see it. I think everybody should. Um, but I can appreciate what John Barton and, and Peter Hall are doing more because they've uh, gone through the pain and efforts to uh, to make it uh, prose or not prose, but to make mm-hmm. to put into verse their their additional lines and, and whatnot. Yeah, that's impressive. Where it does, it's not an entirely a reimagining. It's um, it you know it really fits the mold that Shakespeare was trying to create. Uh, at Shakespeare and Company, we learned a lot about um, the iambic pentameter and and it's how it matches the heart's beat and and the different. Um, I want to. I don't know if this is the right word, but like the different kind of primal connections we have to poetry, and how it, it's a lot more. Uh, connected to our bodies than we even imagine. Uh, Shakespeare is the best stuff to perform because it um, is so much it has the potential to be so much more meaningful um, than than modern text because of just its its structure. And so if you come at it from an actor's perspective, I can really appreciate what they've done there. Um, and yeah, it, so I, I can I can I can really appreciate that. Yeah, that um, that I think would be very challenging. So now I'd be really curious to read that script. But I yeah. think it's yeah, it's, it makes me. I think that's awesome. It makes me wonder. I, I should probably try and get my hands on it and look through it, figure out what they did change, because I'd be curious. Um, and then you know. What, what are they trying to achieve? I think they I think they cite like the Cuban uh, missile crisis. No, that that would have been later in history. I think JFK assassination is like a political um, milestone, not milestone, geez, landmark kind. Of, yeah, I, I, yeah, milestone landmark um, that they kind of uh, reference as something that encouraged them to to splice together those plays because I think it was in the sixties, oh, and so. Okay. What could they possibly have written in verse to accommodate those kinds of views and everything? So it's something to think about. Um, it sounds like it's something you've even thought about too. Is coming up with sort of some of these things, um, but but as of right now, it is, mm-hmm. it's all Shakespeare. But you certainly uh, are right that it, it's literally open source at this point. Anybody is legally i think allowed yeah. to do whatever they want with it um i had a, a russian teacher who like shunned us for the way we did shakespeare in the u.s and it was like oh you guys are so boring with it yeah he's do the same uh same hamlet with two thousand plus lines over and over again great but she showed us clips of how um different contemporary theater artists work on shakespeare in other parts of the world, in Eastern Europe, etc., and it's pretty amazing. And it, and you still get the story that Shakespeare is trying to tell, um, just not in the the way that he originally intended. What which is? is fine, I'd be curious. Uh, like, what fine. kind of thing did she show you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she uh, she showed me. Uh, I specifically remember a Hamlet 
that was done in Russian. Um, and it's the, the guards at night, like the opening scene practically. And, but they're in a snowstorm and they're not talking because the snowstorm, this blizzard is like so horrible and they have to like stand on the top of this tower with these giant cables, like steel cables, uh, with their hands wrapped around them. And they're almost, um, what do you call it when you're rock climbing? When you're in like a um, harness? Yeah, harnessed in, belay, belay. I think they like you're like belayed in or something like that. And, and so they're standing there on the wall of this like windy, I can almost imagine it's like a, a Siberian castle or fortress of some kind. And, um, and I didn't understand any of the text that they were saying. I couldn't tell you what they were saying other than I'm assuming Shakespeare. Um, but I was like, yeah, just, just based off of the staging of this, I can already tell, um, that it's not going to be the traditional, uh, Hamlet that, that we're used to seeing where, um, it, it's a, it's a dude, a young dude. I'm curious about when it's translated into different languages, do they translate it as closely Mm -hmm. as possible or do they change what they need to, to keep the verse? Like the iambic pentameter. Mm-hmm. She performed some Shakespeare for us uh, while she was here in Russian, and and it was definitely it was definitely adverse. You could hear the, That's really the rhythm. Cool. Yeah. So it it was very cool. Um, and then another example would be something kind of like um, oh there there's this wonderful woman, uh, Karidad Savich, who does a lot of kind of abstract plays like non non narrative mm-hmm. i guess i would call them uh and she has one called 12 ophelias where it's it's a uh, well it's all about ophelia it's very little to do with hamlet um i don't know how you'd describe it i think she karidatsevich would probably describe it as an appalachian uh, reimagining of Ophelia's life and death and um, other tangential outcomes. That sounds really cool. Um, I think I heard of Yeah, about it was it very cool. When... Yeah, we, we actually did it at UWM. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, so that's what it was. I think Maybe. so, yeah. I think so. It was, it was probably like 20, 2017 or 2018 that we did that. It was it was very cool, and it and you wouldn't need to see Hamlet to understand it, and there was some stuff that was poetic, but not, not iambic pentameter certainly. Um, and it and it told the story of Hamlet. Well, no, I didn't tell the story of Hamlet. It told the story of Ophelia, in a way that I loved because it was Shakespeare, but in a way that I also loved because it was, it was fresh and and interesting, just like Margaret. So that those are some of the some of the other things uh, that are that have happened in history as far as reorganizing Shakespeare, um, but really what I, I want to know is more about how you develop things. So we know kind of how you started, why you started, um, but what what specifically? I want to get into some specifics. Um, did you have to kind of change? in order to to meet 
your standards for for Margaret's story and, and what you want to tell about her. Like you sent me some of the some of the cuts in the earlier drafts, um, and so you know, like one thing I'm kind of curious about is Richard. Richard is um, Richard of Gloucester is one of the most like, iconic characters mm-hmm. in all of Shakespeare, I think, um, because we think about you know his physical manifestation that actors always use and and some of his big speeches like the the one that we have in our play is the i edward will use mm-hmm. women honorably but then also um now in the winter of our discontent and you know those those big huge speeches that every shakespearean performer thinks about at one time or another um what purpose does that serve in a, in a play like margaret where it's about her. Yes. Uh, so. Is so is the is the question why why yeah. it's not framed from Richard's perspective, or what purpose does he serve in uh, her story? Like, yeah. What purpose does he serve in his story? Uh, excuse me. What purpose does he serve in her story? And um, and I, I looked at some of the cuts. And it looks like sometimes. Or it, it, there was a little bit of, uh, what's the word? Uh, like uncertainty on whether or not to keep some of his bits in or not, because he is such an iconic character. How do you stop him from overshadowing other? Yeah. Other main so some of that stuff, play? I think oh, too, because um, I'm looking at the the yeah. notes about like the Margaret and something yeah. like uh, the banishment scene. So some of that, like that, I put in the cut mm-hmm. scene, like it did. Uh, I was just putting it in there for the the full thing because I just cut bits out of it. So like those things were mm. always in there. They just okay. like I cut certain bits out of it. Okay. Um, Richard, I mean, there could have been so much more of Richard too. He is just, I think, um, I think there are two kind of primary antagonists in this. Um, I guess mm-hmm. there were in a sort of three, which is why it's kind of in three parts because I felt like that was kind of the structure but it's really uh york and richard and i think um richard in margaret's story is the one i mean he's the last we see of her is in his play and in that scene where yes we end with elizabeth i mean a spoiler alert i guess if you're gonna watch this or come see it but um <laughs> we end with the Elizabeth, it's it's basically talking about all of the things that have been taken from them and the basically the cost that these wars have had on them. And a lot of that was directly because of Richard. And so I think having Richard, making him a villain that we can kind of get inside the head of is really important. Um, because I okay. think he... He's, he's a very... Yeah. Which is which is yeah. probably tricky to balance, because I remember I think it was last night in rehearsals we were talking about, uh, or maybe you gave a note something about, like oh you know, this is where we really see Richard's humanity or something or or and we we almost start to feel for him. I remember saying someone yeah, yeah. said something kind of like that, which is kind of tricky when he isn't our antagonist, because we don't want him to we don't want to feel good about him for the entire play but maybe that's 
correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe that's what we want out of all antagonists. We want to feel that that we see their villainy and their and you yeah, know, their, I think their it's woes. important because in this play, they're. I mean, even Margaret herself mm-hmm. is portrayed as very ruthless and sometimes cruel in her monologue to York. She basically like throws him a napkin with the blood of his young child on it like it they they can do some pretty horrible things and so i think understanding the those things and kind of understanding that these are complex humans like margaret and richard are two people who do a lot of horrible things because they have to and yet we have a lot yeah. of reasons to kind of understand why. I mean, Margaret is not respected in her position, not uh, taken seriously, not able to do what she needs to do because she's a woman. So I think sometimes she has to overcompensate and almost go even further than she has to because otherwise she mm-hmm. won't be taken seriously. And I think with Richard, it's almost the opposite in a way richard he is he's another person who's treated terribly like as terrible as he is as a person he's also treated terribly i mean think of how many times he's insulted of course for something that is no fault of his own he's born with scoliosis it you know affects his posture it affects his ability to move Mm -hmm. and his physicality but it's something that he's basically treated as subhuman for and he, in in that monologue, which I, why I like it particularly is, I think he's kind of working out, like, I'm not, because of this thing that's out of my control, I'm not allowed to have the things in life that would make it worth living. Like, I'm not allowed, like, I'm mm. not loved by people. I'm not appreciated by people. I'm not treated with respect. So the only way I can yeah. get those things is if I am at the top of the power structure and people have to give them to me. They have to respect me if I'm the king. Yes. And I think, Margaret, it's the same way. Like, people have to respect me if I go far enough to assert my position. So I think, in a way, they almost, their their struggles and their stories almost reflect each other's, like, despite how much they hurt each other's families and how, you know, sometimes terrible they can be. Yeah, he says, um, am I yet a man to be beloved, you know, with, because he was born of love. Everybody's born of love um, in a perfect world. Um, and and he talks about, what else does he say in there? Uh, you know, if the world affords no joys to me, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that really brings a lot more. Or, or draws a lot less from the like the Machiavellian uh, kind of image that a lot of people draw up for Richard when you think of that speech as him um, figuring out and working out in his head and, and to the audience that that um, yeah I I'm going to do horrible things but um, this is the only way I can I can afford myself yeah. any joy that's interesting that. That's something to for as an actor to take away. Um, I used that speech actually to audition, and I didn't, I didn't think about it quite like that. So yeah, and I think that's a 
and there's That's a, a tip lot from of the director. I think there's a lot of yeah. takes on it, and I don't want to say that like mm-hmm. Richard doesn't have that particularly evil or cruel edge during that speech. I just think um, yeah. I always want to see a little bit of the opposite of what is like traditionally mm-hmm. for the character. Because even I was, we were having a conversation in a rehearsal with uh, Jackie and Adam um, where, because Jackie has played the role of Margaret before. And yes, yes and, and she played the role Margaret, yeah. in Prague. So she has a lot of amazing experience, which has been fascinating to hear about. But she was yeah. talking about how, you know, Adam's take was very different than the suffolk that she worked with and how there's a little bit more tenderness mm-hmm. and i think in a, a situation which i mean a lot of the lines in that banishment scene like show a lot of tenderness but i think you know like in the scene where they meet he's taking her cap- captive they do a lot of cruel and horrible things together mm-hmm. and so i always i'm always interested but they're both such likable yeah, people you definitely i'm, I'm just way. always interested in yeah. what the other side of that person is because people people are complex so like you know everybody wants to have a make a strong character choice which is important but i feel like it's also important to understand maybe where the person they want to be or the person they want to portray where other things get in the way Mm -hmm. other emotions other we just see other sides of that yeah i was thinking about that just last night as i was watching the epilogue um, I play Edward the fourth, and I was thinking to myself as I'm, as I stab this woman's child, um, and and get him, bring him to death, and she is um, mourning him. I just have a, a couple lines while she's mourning him, and and I'm essentially saying get her out of here. Um, cause she's in the chamber moaning practically. Um, and I, I think it is probably a little bit of that other side, uh, where the, the Yorkists are, are painted pretty bad in these, in these history plays. Um, but you see a glimmer of Edwards, um, not that he does anything inhumane other than this really, but, uh, you see a little bit of his humanity, um, no, it's not even humanity, really. Actually, the more I think about it, it's 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 more just like him being like, "Oh, I I feel really bad about what we did. Um, get her out of here because I I don't want to deal with the consequences of my own actions." Yeah, I, Maybe I, I mean, I human. think I've just I always yeah. wonder, as I mean, a person who's obviously never been in a war, like you know, sometimes yeah. you're forced to do these horrible yeah. things. But I don't. I think I think it's. Mm-hmm. probably not easy to fully distance yourself from it but and you also have to remember yeah. though prince edward um he is her child but he historically and maybe not so much we don't see in this play but he was a little shit like he was mm-hmm. very violent and very oh yeah he was pretty mouthy he is quite a mouth um and yeah i i, I you know i'm in the play so i should probably know but I really don't think he he tries to engage in combat. I think we start stabbing him. Yeah, no, so, I'm not not in that scene. It, it's it's not no. so much of a fight. Um, it, it's it's kind of it's a little bit colder than that. 
So it's a little bit some something that's a little bit harder to grapple with. And I think a lot of um, it. But but that that's pretty much at the end of our play. Our, our play really isn't much about that. It was just something yeah. I was well, I think about. too. Sometimes in these uh, battles, because a lot of them are obviously mm-hmm. a lot shorter. Um, Shakespeare took a lot of liberties, like either merging some together or you know dramatizing certain events. Like one of the scenes, like you're wooing of Elizabeth. And Warwick just directly finding out about it is very dramatized. Like it's, it was a lot more, Mm -hmm. um, it took a lot more time than that. So I think some of the, some of the battle stuff I think is, we see these characters, like these main important named characters killing these other main important characters just because we know them and it gives us more connection to it where in real life it might've just been like someone who's not in the play or just like any any other number of things, you know? Okay. Yeah, I think you just answered a question I had. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about other cuts and different things um, that you obviously had to make. And I was wondering, okay, you know, so she keeps some tangential things to uh, to the York household. Um, like the, the scene where we find out that dad dies... Um, that doesn't really appear in our part of the play, but, but we, it's pretty obvious. Um, and we, we make it pretty obvious in other ways, but we don't get like that revelation on stage. Um, but then you keep some other things like, uh, me wooing Elizabeth, um, that is in the play. And I, and I, my first, I wondered why is that, why is that in here? It's just kind of like, like a little bit of like a flirt scene, but really, the way you've juxtaposed, juxtaposed it with um, Warwick and Lady Bona in France, I think I just answered my own question, is because uh, it all leads back mm-hmm. to Margaret in the yeah, end, Yeah, right? that was one of the... So... Um, when I gave it to people to read, one of the things was, like, you know, how do we keep this very much Margaret's story? And I think that scene... First of all, we yeah. we need to get to know Elizabeth a little bit because she literally ends the play so we need Mm -hmm. to know who she is and then that's true if she just showed up in the epilogue right so we need to know how she comes into the story a little bit of her personality and then i also really like that scene Mm -hmm. i think it adds a little a little bit of levity and i think too it bringing warwick to her side is really important and that's how that happens Mm -hmm. and those scenes i think i think the england one was first and then it followed by the france one in it and then i was like it took a lot of it it took us away from margaret's story for a long time and it didn't necessarily like tie in until later so putting them side by side i thought was a little bit more of a way to like show how it's all connected to like the main through line of the story yeah so what jess is talking about is that um, it's not just the English scene or the the uh, this England the uh, the scene of me wooing Elizabeth in England and then uh, Warwick getting Lady Bone in France. The way it's been organized is that it's actually um, like interweaved so that we see those events, even though it's not true uh, historically, but it, it's as though we're seeing those events happen at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it it really kind of puts a, uh, I think a better idea in the audience's head of, um, why 
that wooing uh, was and and Edward marrying Elizabeth uh, caused so many problems for what was nearly uh, some stability mm-hmm. in in the Yorkist rule. It was probably almost stable until Edward shot himself in the foot and turned the kingmaker against himself. Yeah, you know what I mean. I... And so that that opened up a hole probably for Margaret and for um, and for people who weren't Yorkists to, to yeah, come I think back. You really almost did screw yourself in that scene. And, uh, you yeah. know, in the end, um, I think we did talk about that actual battle and what happened was and they do reference like the weather a little bit in our play. But it was so the Lancasters mm-hmm. during that battle thought they were farther ahead than they were because something with the fog and the way the weather was they didn't actually understand Mm -hmm. like the scope of i think what they were up against um so Mm -hmm. i think that was where you know that was i think the last kind of hurrah for the lancasters and um a lot of it came down to i think if if you hadn't done that, if you would have just stayed on good terms with Warwick, you might have just had an easier time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It might have been an easier time, um, and it and it wouldn't have been such a risk. I mean, uh, we we didn't really lose uh, the we weren't deposed. We didn't lose the throne throne from that, um, but certainly a greater risk than we ever anticipated. So I think it. it answered my own question or you answered the question before i even asked it about you know why is that wound scene in there well it's because warwick um needs to needs to turn on me uh etc etc so some of the other sorts of cuts and, and reordering things uh i i talked about an epilogue with uh margaret and elizabeth from richard iii and um, I don't know where it fits into Richard III originally, but it, it totally does feel like an epilogue. It's that scene where um, she's, you know, what do you say, teaching um, her how to mourn? Is so that... technically teaching her how to curse because we how open the play. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Elizabeth says, teach me how to curse. I wish I had the script in front of me, but, and then it's, uh, I'll... Yeah, I think you're right. My there. my words will make yours sharp and pierce like mine, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is such a cool reflection because I think uh, in the prologue is Margaret talking about cursing and her mm-hmm. words piercing into heaven. Yeah, so it, it's like you're talking about sociopolitical context and the cyclical nature of war and things like that. We in in the epilogue we end up almost right exactly where we're in the prologue, teaching the next generation of of um, well Elizabeth the next generation to you know this is how you get stuff done, you curse until you yeah run out of breath and I think and one of the so themes so that I kind of wanted to capture with that is um, this idea too of in this play, Margaret kind of steps into both gender roles a little bit. And I think the one like truly feminine Mm -hmm. role she takes on is basically what the cost of that war and that grief is for women. Because for men, I mean, pretty much every male character just dies. Like they just get killed. But Margaret, despite everything, despite the fact that she's been at war, she's been fighting, she's been doing everything like a king would have done. 
they refuse to kill her. George and Edward refuse. She even asks and they refuse it to her. And I think the women, they don't take the physical damage. They take the mental and emotional damage. And which is what I thought that scene Mm -hmm. really showed because pretty much everyone, like every male that's came before that was in the way or had a claim to the throne has died and they are still there and lost power, lost freedoms, but they're still living with it and still dealing with it. So all they can do is relate to other people in their same position and tell their story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so I think you did a really good job of bookcasing the play with those two, with those two moments, you know, showing what these women have in their in their collection of instruments their tools so to speak uh what else okay so i changes? uh oh, oh sorry wow. i saw you i saw your bullet point about eleanor and marjorie jordan and that one actually yeah, i wanted to yeah. talk about because that was a bummer kind of the cut the stuff with eleanor i really like her yeah. as a character so for people listening mm-hmm. who don't really know um Gloucester, who is a character in the play, um, Eleanor is his wife, and Eleanor is very ambitious. Um, Gloucester's the Lord Protector at the beginning, so he's the one making the decisions for the king. So basically, this woman is rich, has a lot of fancy things, and basically is in the role of queen, and she wants to kind of make that official. She's very Hmm. ambitious. Um, So she enlists the help of a witch, to basically um god i wish i haven't i haven't looked at that scene in quite a while but i know they there's some prophecy involved like uh suffix uh suffix death by sea is like actually a prophecy and there's all these cool things and then Mm -hmm. she gets banished and there's this really cool scene with her in gloucester and like as much as i wanted to keep that stuff in it it took us really off track from the core margaret and like war of the roses like dispute with the yorks it just because she wasn't a york she was just another mm-hmm. ambitious person um so and it's really important to like henry the second part two as an individual play but i think doing all of it it doesn't really influence the rest of the story so unfortunately had to be cut and i ended up cutting eleanor completely i think she was like her and Somerset were like the last two characters that got cut because I really tried to keep oh. them in, but poor some, yeah. poor Somerset, <laughs> poor Eleanor. I know I I love lots of the characters in these histories and um, just the, the way that we're doing it. It totally makes sense that some of them have to go. The last thing that I wanted to ask you about with um, with changes that I noticed, um, you have like a series of flashbacks. Um, so you're they're they're not so much like cuts, but they're like rearrangements. Um, so we have Margaret and Suffolk meeting, um, and then there that whole kind of sequence where they meet each other, um, and and their farewell are those all kind of flashbacks, or is the farewell built into? No, the, the farewell that actually is just in that scene. Okay, but then the meeting is their their meeting is split up over a course of like three different. Two. Is it two or three different flashbacks? Yeah, and it's two, and so why not just tuck that towards the beginning of the play? That, sure that's one actually that I still 
find the placement challenging. I just wanted it in there really badly. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it... Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want to start with it because I think the prologue and the epilogue are just that kind of everything we talked about, just how it like kind of ties everything together. Um, and so mm-hmm. I had played around with the idea, uh, which, you know, it kind of changes a bit just for the purposes of our reading, but um, with having the three parts kind of based on the three like challenges or the three antagonists. And then um, each part has a prologue and an epilogue just to kind of like set it as its own thing. And so I thought, the Margaret and Suffolk meeting scene was really important because it gives us a little bit of context to why Margaret was there in the first place. What, and I think it gives us a different side of her. She's not, okay. she's not in a position of power yet. So we kind of see, um, we, we see her basically mm-hmm. rise from someone. I mean, Suffolk flat out states, like she comes from a family who's, who's poor and she's um like she doesn't have a lot of influence yet and we also see a little bit it's also seen with a little bit of levity there's a little um you know he talks of wood he is mm-hmm. it is some carpenter just like little like fun lines so i really want yeah. to keep it in yeah. the placement um i think for the yeah. reading it helps because we get the stage directions where we get to know it's a flashback but i mm-hmm. think something if i ever like staged this play or did it in a different way that wasn't a reading i i might have to restructure it because i like i like having that scene in there but i'm not sure like the clarity of yeah, it in yeah. the spot that it's in i just yeah how do you how do you tell your audience oh these are the characters you just saw a moment ago but now it's years yeah in, years in the, earlier years, but, yeah. yeah almost years in the years earlier but it does it does feel right it feels like, it feels like when you, uh, like, get really into a TV show and then they do a flashback episode and you see, like, like oh, the, you know, this is the the character as I know them now, but you know, what, what was their origin like in as it's relevant to the story and, and you get a little bit more of the, the kind of, fun yeah to your to your point the levity of it, and. I think so. I think that's really well done. Um, I'm curious what throughout your research has kind of helped you um, decide like how to cut things, I guess, because uh, you talked about never really cutting a lot of Shakespeare before. So we you just kind of like, okay, um, yeah, this is something I haven't done before, but I'm going to give it my all. Or did you have to go to like a, a, a website or any places um... to learn I didn't really look into much how to cut Shakespeare specifically. I did research um, on, like, I watched a few, like, sort of short documentaries about War of the Roses Mm -hmm. stuff um, and did, like, individual research on those characters to kind of see, like, which characters I was going to keep. But what I did was I basically at first kept everything with Margaret in it, and then I kind of looked at, okay, what other storylines are important and so i was like okay so she is at first feeling you know insecure about her position and then that basically leads into basically her and henry's position being at stake because there's someone else with a claim so i looked at basically her interactions with everyone who 
was maybe a threat to her family or her position. So that's why I kept in like, that's why I was okay. playing with like Gloucester and Eleanor at first. I kept a lot of York and those, that family and like things with the brothers, because those were all characters that she interacted with and that she was directly mm-hmm. sort of threatened by or like directly claimed power from her family. And then a lot of other lords and, um, you know, characters with like sort of subplots going on. I kind of, you know, was like, maybe we don't need this. Like, um, there was a, mm-hmm. it, I struggled cause it, some of it stayed in for a while. There's like a bit with York and Somerset with like, who's going to rule over some territories in France that kind of leads to, you know, a dispute between him and Somerset and things like that. And they're just little things that it was like, this is important to the story, but it's not, not necessarily a core element of Margaret's story. So that's kind of how I made those decisions. And it took a lot of, I think, putting it down and like stepping away from it for like months and then coming back to it. To be like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. That makes sense, yeah. I think I think it's kind of tough to always be in the middle of a project. To step back is sometimes even more helpful. And that it's just a side question that got me thinking. What, how does uh, Suffolk's death affect Margaret and her trajectory? I think that it was in. I, I don't know. I kind of thought it was important to, to see it and then yeah. lead into her morning scene. I think just the way it was structured with we see them meet and then we immediately see him die and then we immediately see mm-hmm. her mourn his death. So I thought those all kind of just like that almost gave some context, I think, to the to that yes. flashback scene. Because technically we could just mm-hmm. go to Margaret mourning him, but I think the some of the specific little bits that we get, like he basically, he invokes her name basically to like assert his position. He says, you know, I, I supped with the queen or whatever it is he says, and just all these things. So mm-hmm. I thought that gave enough color to her story that it was still important. Totally. And I just like the scene. Sometimes, you know, I just gotta do, sometimes it's yeah. just fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like all the scenes, and and but I'm I'm always just thinking about it analytically, and it, and everything you say makes sense, totally. Um, but back on track, uh, I you brought a couple of things into rehearsal for us to kind of look at. Uh, one of them was Women of Will, which we've already talked about. It's Tina Packer's book about well, uh, women in Shakespeare plays, uh, women characters, and so do you remember? Uh, any kind of specific things that she talks about with Margaret? Yeah, she... So one of the first things is she kind of speculates, like, what she was doing when she was introduced to Suffolk. Like, is she mm. is she just wandering around the battlefield? Does she just want to be where the action is? And then she talks a lot mm. about her own experience, and she talks about her experience with the scene with... Um, with York, the I think it's called the molehill speech with the with the paper crown, and she talks a lot about with the, the um, that how it's sometimes is intimate, 
doing a killing scene as it is doing a love scene, which I thought was fascinating. Oh wow! Yeah, because That's very Tina to say, yeah, you're she's she's talking about she's up in his face and she could feel him breathing and she's like literally just mm-hmm. like all these things and it was I don't know it's just it's very Tina so she goes a lot yeah. about that and then yeah. she talks about too I think um, Shakespeare kind of discovering how to write women through Margaret and how like that scene mm. with Suffolk that love scene some of the like. Um, really most beautiful poetry in some of the early works. So yeah, and this these are early works. So the the goodbye That's scene part, is that from which is yeah Henry Six Part, part two, two, which may very well be his first play. I think yeah. there's contention over when it's uh, either yeah, it's Henry creaky. Six Part Two or if it's um, yeah. Comedy of Errors. I think Kyle and I had been talking about that in mm. one of the okay. rehearsals. That's, yeah. So it certainly top yeah, five very earliest, early. if not the earliest. So yeah, what what is that line? Like I remember Chanel, our cohort, always saying to Caleb the uh, and like a something gun recoil. Oh yeah, the gun recoiling and just, and like the po- turning the back poetry. on itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the poetry in those moments, I can't believe yeah. that was some of his earliest work because that's like it's amazing. It's really strong imagery and it and it's beautiful and I, it makes me wonder, um, you know, how much did Suffolk mean to this woman? And the answer is, my, yeah, world, some of my favorite lines too. The uh, talking about dying being like a pre- a pleasant slumber in thy mm-hmm. lap, or if I was him being with her like a wilderness would be populous enough and it's just really like just like er, his for his early so, poetry just yeah. some like really amazing imagery some really uh, i don't know i just love that scene and with those sweet words between the two of them um it it's and you seeing how the world has divided them um it it almost reminds me a little bit of like when Romeo gets banished, kind of. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that. And how those are kind of our protagonists. And it really feels that way, I'm sure, in the original play and in your play, Margaret. So there are other moments where she, it feels like what she's doing is like villainous. Like, here's your, here's your dead son's um, blood on a napkin. Did you, did you have any, uh, qualms or um concerns about leaving those moments that are a little bit harsher in or does it just round her more, i think it was more instead of like, she is our worrying about leaving them in it was worrying about mm-hmm. like just not justifying them but like understanding where she was coming from mm-hmm. and a lot of that too mm, was like okay. just conversations with jackie too because i think that's very like needs to come from an actor perspective like even more so than a director perspective Mm -hmm. um but i think a lot of it too is like we talked about a little almost needing to overcompensate in order to be respected in her position and also i think just the hurt Mm -hmm. from one the fact that her husband would disinherit her son so that this man can inherit the throne and this man's family is responsible in a way for Suffolk's death which not not directly like yeah, it wasn't totally. 
Yorks. I mean, a part that I added mm. was the 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 white rose on mm. the the sea captains and like the. I oh, don't, that's I not do, even part I don't of that, think huh? So, I'm honestly yeah. So when what Jess is talking about is um, when Suffolk is is killed crossing uh, on the boat. Um, there is a stage direction about the the folks wearing white roses as their Yorkists. So, okay, regardless of whether or not that is true to the original, it it makes perfect sense to me, and it it does further put some responsibility on her shoulders. Um, you know, all these things stack up and mm-hmm. and load on her. That's cool. I didn't think about that. So th- those are some of the the kind of changes you've made, and the the resources that have been useful for you, and then in turn for us as actors and people working on the play. Um, I we haven't had a ton of rehearsals. Yep. It's a pretty short rehearsal period. Is there anything like crazy that's jumped out at you? Like, oh, I, I guess I should ask: Are you planning on on changing the script at all has have you realized like oh that this i actually don't need this or i or is it too early to tell are you gonna have to watch um, the recording maybe i don't know what do you, or are you pretty set in stone this is the I, play i'm actually not sure i feel like it'd have to be again like i did a couple times mm. during writing it i think i'd i'd need to step away for it from it for a little bit and come back to it which i yeah i definitely could see a possibility of definitely coming back to it um but I think I would need to mm-hmm. I would need to step away and think about it. The one thing that's really standing out to me is the the Margaret and Suffolk meeting scene and where that fits. Um, specifically if it stays where yeah. it is, and maybe like the act structure, the three part structure. I even thought about making it like I don't know if you've seen, um, there's a Timothy Chalamet Henry V that's like not Shakespeare's text, but it's like based on that story. It was yeah. like so that's no, not Shakespeare's text? I haven't seen that, but... It's yeah, the, but is it's it just called the story the of Henry V that I was like, what uh, if, yeah. like, maybe it would make it a lot easier to get around some of these issues huh. if I just wrote it as, like, a film, which that's a big, big old maybe. But, um... Or, and, like, maybe, I don't yeah, know, maybe yeah, I would yeah. want to stage it one day or even give it to someone else to direct a stage. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities, but I think before any of those steps would happen, I would want to step away from it for a little bit and then come back to it and see what a fresh perspective okay. on it would be. So, you know, I'm not asking you to commit to anything, but after this um, reading goes up and then closes, it's probably not likely we're going to see it fully rehearsed and on stage. In not the next that few soon. It, it's, it's something not, that's not kind that of soon, still... but um, if it ever did get done, you know, I would love like a lot of the yeah. the cast now if they were ever interested maybe or I don't know it'd be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody really fits yeah, in this cast. It's pretty great. With uh, with the pandemic and everything and kind of all the roadblocks we've hit, I am really glad that we ended up mm-hmm. kind of getting a strong cast out of all of it. So that all uh, happens next week already. Uh, that is uh, February tenth, eleventh, the twelfth, the thirteenth. If we have local Milwaukee listeners who are interested, that is at uh, Sugar Maple, which is on, on the south side of town. Uh, you can find out more about it and get tickets at Voices Found Repertory, which is the company that's putting this on, on their Facebook page or their Instagram page. 
Um, there will be uh, tickets available. Yes. For so 15, Thursday night, right? the 10th is pay what yep. you can. Um, those are in-person tickets. Mm-hmm. The rest of the tickets you can get yes. online. They're all different times. Uh, so the, the 10th and 11th are at 7 p.m. Yeah. The 12th is at 2 p.m. And the 13th is at 3 p.m. Um, those are all at... Sh- yes. <laughs> seven, two, three. And then, and then for those of us who are not local, um, there is maybe an opportunity to still see the play. Uh, so that is going mm-hmm. to be a recording, right? So we have some cameras up in the rehearsal hall and we'll be doing a recording, which will make it to YouTube. And uh, that will have more information available on probably through Every Mother's Son um, as well. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, we'll probably be posting about that, but definitely through Voices Found Repertory again. Um, and that is probably going to be another situation of like a suggested donation of $15 uh, or otherwise um and and that'll probably happen in the weeks yeah after so the it's gonna be um a limited run because we yeah. do want to get you know all those tickets in and then having it out for um mm-hmm. so it's gonna be i believe a week so it should be the week of valentine's day and those details um on any of those okay. social media voices found repertory or every mother's son should have those details with the exact dates when they come out great well, folks, if anybody has any questions for Jess about her process or about uh, the process of putting on play in COVID, um, she is so sweet, and uh, I've, I'm now signing her up to answer any questions. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Do so it. So you could send those to every mother's son productions at Gmail. That's every mother's son productions at Gmail, um, or uh, questions about the development of, of putting a, a play together like this, splicing it together. I still have more questions for her, but we've run out of time today. So thank you all. And we will see you next Yay. month. Yay. Thank you. Take care, Jess. Thank you. Bye.